Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 86, Liberation. Susie over there and George Jr. You know this. Yes. Got it. 89.3% chance you're here to help Diana. What is going on here? Margaret. Suzanne. Donnie. I want you to let my family out of there. Look, there was no reason for this Chief Tipton person to act like that. This Chief Tipton person? Donald Tipton is a close personal friend of mine. He's the father of one of my finest employees. What in God's green earth is going on, Margaret? Friend or no friend, he was wrong. No matter what Diane did, he didn't need to knock her down. I don't know what is happening, but I don't like it. You're not making life any easier for Margaret. What are you talking about? Well, you changed history. Yeah. You remember the little fight, the altercation you had with Chief uh, Tipton in the jail? Yeah. Well, it put a tailspin on George and Margaret's marriage. <sighs> well, you, well you, you said that I was here to help Diane, I thought. Uh, yes, well, that's true. Uh, but apparently by helping Diana, you're somehow destroying George and Margaret. That's just crazy. That's he just says crazy. there's a 69.2% chance that George leaves Margaret and her life is ruined. I mean, if we have to go toe-to-toe against the men, that's what we'll do, just like Diana says. Literally? Well, shoving Chief Tipton last night sure made him listen. I shouldn't have done that. He was wrong. But I was wrong to shove him. Diana says it's the only way to really make men listen. Well, that's simply not true. Now you're questioning Diana? If she's advocating violence, yes, I am. Look, most of the things that Diana says are, are good things. They're right, but not everything. 
Just like most of the things that your father says make sense too, but not everything. How can you defend him? I'm not defending him any more than I'm attacking her. Wait a minute. No, no, Sam, Sam. Easy. I know this may seem a little strange to you. Easy. Strange? Yes, strange. My daughter is insulting me. My wife is on the front page of the newspaper holding her brassiere in the air for the whole world to see. And I'm going to get laughed at by my employees. I call that a hell of a lot more than strange. Look, I didn't mean to make a joke out of you, and neither did Susie. We're just trying to do something to bring close-minded people into the century, that's all. We did it. Yes. We since when do you make unilateral decisions concerning this family? Now, I want my wife and my daughter to stop hanging out with these rabble-rousers and get this family back to normal. What is it, Al? Bad news, Sam. Susie got shot tonight at her father's club. What? Are you sure? I mean, check it again, please. there has got to be a mistake. Women's submission is not the result of brainwashing, get up, stupidity, Cloud. or mental you're under arrest. but rather the constant daily abusive behavior of men. I males. said you're under arrest. Let go of me. You're not my father. Move it, Sam! Oh, I've had enough of you! No! I wouldn't do that, dear. Sam, you better get in here and do something! Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Preckler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we will be discussing the Season 5 episode, Liberation. And this was weird for me because this is like classic quantum leap and we haven't seen much classic quantum leap in season five so this was sort of a throwback much like promised land was sort of a throwback see i seem to recall matt saying that this was the first in a string of gimmick episodes oh that's right thank you for picking up on that thread that we left off with the last podcast all right matt explain yourself you you guys don't don't hold me to this too much. I think you're expecting way more than I'm about to deliver. Hey, you threw it out there. <laughs> I I know I did, but I I thought it was obvious. Um, he leaps into a woman like less than a dozen times during the five season run. All of those female leaps are just slightly on the edge of gimmicky. Not Doctor Ruth level gimmicky. Not Elvis Presley level gimmicky, but this definitely leads into this is the foot in the water. Okay, all right, this is we, we, we're not going to see any more non famous, uh, middle aged white male leaps. This, this is it, guys. This is the, the run towards the end now. The home stretch, we're going to start going crazy. Um, that's that's all. It, that's that's it's not a massive gimmick, but it's a female leap, which is mm, enough in my book. And at this point, you still consider him leaping into a female a gimmick just because it's it's more rare on the show? Yeah. Yeah. Even Sam seemed kind of like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It, Seen it. <laughs> if, if this had been earlier in the season's run, I wouldn't be counting it. Like I said, this is kind of a, a, a prelude, as far as I'm concerned, to the really hard gimmicky run from Dr. Ruth up to Mirror Image. But This is the warm-up. Yeah, <laughs> this is the warm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Tale of Two Sweeties had no gimmick elements whatsoever. This was at least just moving in that direction. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on that, but that's okay. We don't need to fight. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's not. It's not a. It's not a big thing. I would also say that about when he leaps into people of color and children. Anything. Anything like that. That's just that kind of gimmick light stuff. All right. Well, no more to drink for you. <laughs> no more to drink for you. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, um, 
I couldn't think of an episode in season five that had more meat on the bone as far as big ideas uh, that the show is exploring as we get here in Liberation. Because I think that, say what you will about um, the way it was executed, I think they tried to tackle a lot of stuff. In this episode, they did, yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of big ideas, and um, that's what I think I mean when I say this is much more traditional quantum leap. It's a very issues oriented plot, for sure. So, um, why don't we do some initial impressions, Allison? What did you think of Liberation? Uh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm being kind of a string of negative ones, not really negative, but sort of indifference. <laughs> Lately, <laughs> um, that changes starting next episode. Yeah, but, of course, um, of course. But for now, <laughs> we know it well. <laughs> yeah, uh, but for now, like it's yeah. <laughs> All right, that's interesting. I want to explore that a little bit. But um, Matt, aside from the gimmick <laughs> angle, what do you think <laughs> of liberation? I, I just I love the fact that you want to try and explore. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I really do. If this, if this if this was an interview, that would be like the toughest interviewee ever. <laughs> You'd be sitting there going, fucking hell, Alison, give me something. Oh, you think I won't talk during this podcast? Do you think anything can get me to shut the hell up? Because I got notes. <laughs> no, I, I know. I'm sure you do. So, um, yes, completely with you, Chris. This, in terms of the fact that this is very issues-led, this is traditional in many ways. Yes, I think there's, there's that slightly gimmicky element, but it is it is a very traditional quantum leap. The thing is, though, I go into this, and even within two minutes, when you realise, okay, this is bra burning, obviously we know what the plot of this is going to be, this is an issue that has been explored before. This was done in a completely different way and from a different angle. This was done in Runaway. Mm. So immediately this episode has that counting against it for me that I'm thinking, well, all right, this is a really important issue. Women's lip, massively important. Are they going to do anything sufficiently different to make it worth going round that 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 plot again? Um, I'm not sure they did or not, but it was a good episode. I do like it. They touched on it in uh, the first time he leaped into a woman too, though mm. it was sort of just a part of it, but not the, the feature of it. Yeah. We're talking about, of course, Gloria. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt, what you're saying is really sort of where I wanted to go a bit deeper into Allison's yeah. <laughs> Allison, was this yeah? Because like you said about Sam, yeah, been here, done that. Do you think it's just something like that we're rehashing as as the series has already covered this, maybe in better ways or more interesting ways? Yeah, pretty much. It's um I I don't think it's created a, enough stuff that's not repeated that is interesting enough to me. There was even an interview with uh, Deborah Pratt. I don't know if this was in the Quantum Leap book or somewhere else, but I remember her talking about the fact that she usually gets a lot of feedback from uh, Scott Bakula about episodes, and uh, she was writing Liberation, and she sent him the script, and he she just wasn't hearing anything from him. So she's like, oh, I'm going to ask him about that. And the interview doesn't follow up on that. But I kind of feel like he was in the same boat as us, like – all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's just not that much. And it's not that the theme isn't um, important or good. In fact, there was a lot of things here uh, echoed that you still hear today, that I still hear today. Yeah. So um, I get what they're going for. I just think it was a little bit dry overall. Hmm. 
All right. Very interesting because it's it's funny. Um, from my initial impression, I think I agree with both of you, but um, what 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 sort of gives this one a little bit more oomph for me is kind of like the mat logic. Um, and it's not conditional on where it is placed in like the string of uh, episodes in season five and where this is going to lead next. But I think that a lot of the stuff, a lot of the issues on display and a lot of the subtext that we saw on screen is still very salient for mm. current day issues that are going on all around us here in 2021. And it was eerie to me to hear so many echoes of so much current stuff in a show that's 30 years old. So it, it shows you that Quantum Leap, I think, was somewhat ahead of its time in exploring some of these issues, but at the same time, we really haven't come all that far since. And maybe not even all that far since the 60s when this episode is set. Yeah, I think the, the most uh, relevant quote from the episode was when uh, Sam's talking to Evie. And uh, says, when a man is pushy and bossy, it's called aggressive and it's admired. Now, why can't a woman be the same? Mm-hmm. I feel like that one is something that's heard a lot today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the characters even said, oh, not one of those pushy, bossy women. It's just that I'm not one of those pushy, bossy women. My biggest thing was just, you know, this is white male privilege on parade. That's sort of the theme of this episode. Yeah. And how do you reach these adults who just have no clue? what they're doing, how how they're discriminating. They just, to them, this is just the way it is. And if we can get into the meat of the episode a bit, I feel like this episode does Al a great disservice. Yes. Because in this one, he is there as basically a straw man to spout every kind of argument in defense of jerks like George. Yeah. Because that's, oh, that's all they know. Oh, you got it, you know. And it's just like, why would you put Al? I, I I know why, story-wise. But again, it's like, I think it does Al a disservice. He he kind of went backwards a little bit in yeah. this episode. Like, when uh, it, from the very beginning, when they're in the jail, <laughs> and he's talking about, like, yeah. his chicks and cells <laughs> fantasies. What a scene. Chicks in cells. Talk about your major fantasy. What could be better? A chicks in chains in cells. Al, women's lib. I, I don't know. I could never decide whether it's a hindrance or a help. I don't know. It felt like there. he's been more progressive in other episodes. Yeah, that was odd. Al's defending George. Like, he's talking about how he's, like, from a different generation. And, like, demeaning women is the only way of saying I love you. You believe that man? I hate the way he orders me around, Margaret around like that. Little sweetie pie. It's demeaning. Well, actually, you know, that's the only way he knows how to say I love you. Oh, please. Yes, George is from a generation that was taught that women have a place. And men have a place. And never the twain shall meet. Yeah, well, if that's the system, then take it from somebody on this side in the, in a dress, okay? It's your crash and burn. Maybe. Maybe. Nobody should be treated like that, Al. Nobody. Patronized, insulted like that. It's George and... All the other Georges in the world, they'd have no idea that they're denigrating women. It's just they were never taught to behave any other way. It's like, there there could be other ways of saying this. I get what he's getting at. Like, if you're conditioned to be a certain way, if that's just how the way things are, of course, that's how you're going to act. But I don't know. It, it's all sort of half-hearted. They have this subplot, not a subplot, like barely anything, where Al says like, oh, well, Tina called me a chauvinist. I told her about all this stuff, and that's never really <laughs> brought up again. It's, it's just sort of ho-hum. 
Well, I mean, in George, um, we get to see a lot of bad behavior on display. Not only was it there front and center in, you know, big, bold letters in his dialogue, and but it was also in sort of just like his actions. I think Deborah did a really good job of putting in a lot of microaggressions. Yeah. We wouldn't have called them that back then. But now the chief one that I saw, and I didn't realize this until later in the episode when they're having the cocktail party and Margaret is, I guess, in jail or whatever. And so he's at sea, he's got to like start handing out the hors d'oeuvres and he gets like two or three away and then he hands the tray without even thinking to a female in the room. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that was an employee of his that was up for a promotion. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that right (laughs) away. Yeah. And I was just like, what a douche. Oh my God. (laughs) You know? And for him, it's just natural. He doesn't even think about it. And I thought that that was a good way because it was it was in a lot of big and a lot of little ways that they showed just how prevalent. And she doesn't think about it either. That's just the way things are. She's the one that says the line about, I don't want to be one of those pushy, bossy women. Like, that's just how things were. And that's exactly as you say, that's how things were. And that's how that element of the almost sympathy for George should have been dealt with, not by having Al spell it out. I don't think it needed Al to spell it out. And like we've said, it it did make Al come off as kind of douchey. But seeing everything going on around George, you can kind of see how, all right, okay, this this is the way society was. We look back now and we know it was wrong, but it's it's also wrong to blame one person for everything that's going on around him and the fact that this is this is confusing. Again, this is a topic that we, we dealt with in Runaway. Yeah, I, I think just by him wording it, saying that's his way of saying I love you, I don't really think that's <laughs> great either. Yes. You know, it's um, he has a point by saying like, okay, you're not really here to change women's lib. You're here to save Diana. Like, you can't really change the whole world with like one person kind of thing. But he does sort of excuse it like it's okay. And I'm trying to figure out where, you know, where in Al's life it was okay because he wasn't really raised in any kind of traditional sense. And I know he was in the Navy and he was a pilot. So there's, you know, tons of chauvinism there, male chauvinism, I should say. So I can see where he would be sexist. But in the context of like a 50s housewife ideal, that is as much out of his experience as anything since he had such a non-traditional upbringing. So I'm wondering where he's getting these these cues from. And again, that's what struck me the most, just knowing the character Al and how complex he is to me, putting him in this very simplistic position to quote and spout crap that I don't even think would be on his radar, quite frankly, because it's not part of his experience. He had many wives, so maybe <laughs> maybe his experience. He had many wives, but he never had like a traditional suburban family structure. I think maybe with his third wife, Ruthie, maybe Sharon, there was some some of that in there. I could be just imagining that. I feel like a lot of that is grown up in the fan community after the fact. Yeah. Um, Matt, I guess maybe you can you can school me on this. How deeply did they get into, you know, any kind of significant discussion of Al's relationships? I, I, I think it was all in passing. I think a, a lot of that, like you say, is um, is from the novels and um, and what's what's built up in fandom since. He does talk a little bit about with uh, Ruth, which was his third wife, mm. um, in another mother. How he didn't really realize how much family meant to him until he was with her because of her family and all that. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just projecting something here. 
We've mentioned Deborah Pratt as the co-writer a couple of times, and I don't want to make assumptions about how this episode came to be, but there was another co-writer credited, and it wasn't somebody that had written for Quantum Leap before or since. So some out-of-character lines, don't know, might be expected. All right. In pursuit of just the needs of the script, the needs of this specific episode. Yeah, it, we we all seem to agree that Al is not as progressive as he has been in the past. And I do wonder how much that is Chris Abbott's influence. But that's what script editing's for. So <laughs> Sam does say some things in this episode that seemed a little out of character, too. He goes to, to talk to Diana about like a not protesting violently mm-hmm. and he comes in and is like oh do you really think you can win in a physical fight if we want to make a change we're gonna to have to get face to face we're gonna to have to tell them no more and mean it if they want to push us around we'll push back if they want to slap us around we'll slap back if they want to fight we'll give them a fight yeah do you really think you can win a physical fight that's exactly what gets diana Mom, killed sam i'm sorry she just doesn't understand yes i do i understand that you cannot match strength in a physical confrontation. Unless we fight, nothing will change. Fine, fine. Then fight them in the boardrooms, not in a street brawl. You want to make a change? Take a lesson from Gandhi. Or King. Or Martin Luther King. Mom, please, let's go. You go out and start a riot, and people will only notice what's wrong about you. But you state your beliefs in an orderly fashion, and people will notice what's wrong about the system. It seems like he's arguing that, like, as a woman, she's not as strong or something. Yeah. Some of the wording seems a little weird. It, I really like that speech, though. I, and I know what you mean. There's that, there's that part of it, the kind of the, the start of it, it does make me feel uncomfortable for that reason. But then he, it gets going and I, yeah, I don't know. I, I like it. I find it very inspiring. But it seems to be there for the wrong reasons. That was a little troubling to me at first as well, but I think that that was supposed to tie into um, one of the bigger themes of this episode, uh, violent versus nonviolent protest. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, they could explore the um, the ideas of physical uh, physicality and and you know confrontational protest that involves some kind of physicality. It's just another way to to say no that that's the wrong path. Because this episode, if it, if it was anything, it was consistent in beating that drum. Do the protests. They're needed. They're wonderful. And they're going to change a lot of things. But it can't be violence. There's some shades of violence begets violence in there, too. Oh, yeah. Because of hmm. Diana's uh, backstory with her father who used to beat her and her mother. She is uh, doing a lot of projecting in this episode as far as um, seeing men as her father or women um, as her mother being weak and not fighting back. For sure. And I wanted to discuss Diana's character arc. What did you guys think of it? Because I like the character, but then I think that as the episode came on, um, someone that was touted as a positive role model became a cipher for the way not to do this. And it was almost like violence begets violence. Get it? Her dad beat her, and now she's going to pull a, a gun on a cop, and that's just going to lead to more secular violence, and it's not going to solve anything. And I don't know if that wasn't like the right choice dramatically. Did they sacrifice that character in service of spouting sort of an ideal? It could have been a little more rounded. 
I did find it interesting that her character really by the end has not turned around yet. They say that later on after, uh, after prison. She is one of the leading figures in, in changing the constitution, you know, using the law to help women's rights. So I feel like, uh, in a, a show where a lot of things can be kind of easily wrapped up because you only have 45 minutes to tell the story, I thought it was kind of interesting by the end she didn't turn around. Hmm. You mean by the end of the episode, like in the time that Sam was there, but they did give her a happy ending in the sense that it was more positive change ahead for her. They did, yeah, but they do have to take her out. Like, she doesn't give the gun up at the end, and they could have written it that way. Um, she has to be taken down and arrested. Again, it's it's almost like, well, we know we want to teach the lesson that violence begets violence. But at the same time, well, let's just put a little Band-Aid on the end of that so that this character has some redemption in the end. Yeah. I suppose they could have said that, like, well, okay, she didn't turn around, but then the daughter went on to do some things or something. They could have written it that way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they could have done that. And I think that it was the most TV moment of the entire episode to me was when um, Suzanne, played by Megan Price, pulls the gun out of the cop's holster. Yeah, and then... It's just like, she committed, she committed a felony. A felony. Uh, <laughs> Come on, but don't you think you should let her off? She helped you out. All right. <laughs> it was just like, what? Come All's on. well, it ends well. They even had Al dubbed in saying it's a felony, too. Like, twice they have to say, hey, this is a felony. <laughs> it's a felony. And you, f- you feel like maybe they felt like, oh, shit, we, we need to add that after the fact. Because when we were writing it, maybe we didn't realize the actual gravity of what she had done. Because it's just such a cheesy TV moment. But the the police chief, he says it. She committed a felony, Margaret. So it's not like they didn't say it was a felony. It's just twice in the same, like within the same 30 seconds, they have to remind you this is a felony. It's ridiculous that she gets off. Don't go out and do that, kids. <laughs> do not grab guns. <laughs> Especially out of policemen's holsters. <laughs> Ever really, yeah. but yeah, I suppose. I suppose if you're going to have limits. Well, it's funny. I liked seeing Ma- Megan Price, who played Suzanne, because... Because I know her from a sitcom that I was fond of called Grounded for Life. And she was really great in that. So it took me a couple of minutes to recognize her in this. I thought she was good in this. I thought I thought everybody was, was pretty good in this. Yeah. The story issues aside, I thought that the actors all did a fine job with what they were given. Especially Max Gale, who I've known, you know, since a kid. He was on Barney Miller when I was growing up. So, you know, seeing Wojo was always a nice thing. And I thought that he was good. I'm a huge fan of Rules of Engagement, so I I had a similar like. It, it took me a little while to to picture her as anything but the character from that. And yeah, Max Gale's been in everything. He's he's one of these people that's got like 200 credits on IMDb or something. Uh, 131, but yeah, he's he does just seem to show up in everything. This episode is a, is a little bit like they were watching another mother back, and then they were like. Okay, so the part of the beginning where he's like, oh, I'm divorced, thank God, we don't have to tackle the gay stuff. (laughs) Um, They're like, what if we went the other way? (laughs) And this time, he's got a husband. Yeah. And so, a lot of this episode is Sam dodges gay stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That is a huge one on my list, Allison. I want to ask, though, Matt, just if we can step back. I know that you're tracking all the female leaps. Is this the first time he's leapt into an actual married woman? Who's, you know, in in a domestic relationship. I believe it is. I think it is. Yeah. I hadn't um, spotted that, but yeah. 
You're right. I, I, I think it's because they wanted to avoid a lot of the avoid the gay uh, stuff that was yes. going on in this episode. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I loved the first night. He's so upset. He's going to go sleep on the couch. The writers are in the writers room going, that's how we got past the first yes. night. Now what do I we know. do? <laughs> as progressive as the show was, as progressive as it was, it was still 1993, was it, by the time this aired? Yeah. Yeah. It was still 1993. And it in some ways, it does make sense uh, that Sam is not into it because he himself uh, is in the text of the show is a straight guy. So he's not really interested in this guy. So uh, he, he wouldn't really be that into it to begin with. But then again, he's also like had to be intimate with women that he was not into at all. And they, I, I feel like they would have treated it much differently nowadays. A lot of this comes from just the time this was made. There is a wonderfully, not not specifically 90s line, but a, one, a line that would not come up nowadays, which is... But I had an understanding that no other man on the face of the earth could have. I was a woman. Had been a woman on a number of leaps. And it was an eye-opening experience. I think the writers have forgot about trans people. Right. Like like he's saying, yeah, no, no nobody can know what it's like to be both a man and a woman. Yes, I, I I don't think that's quite the case. But again, this was the nineties. Yeah, it does feel like a line that's that's from that time. And it, yes. the way that he says it too is kind of like we've done this before. So that's kind <laughs> of another reason why yeah. it kind of feels rehashed. He's like, oh, no other man could understand what it was like to be a woman. I'd been a woman yeah. several times. Yeah, and I mean that works in context to the show, but again, as we progressed societally, that line turns into—I'm not exactly a liability, but it's kind of a clunker at this point. Yeah, I—I don't think it's like it's one of those things that like it's changed with time. It doesn't come off malicious or anything. No, 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 no. I don't think it is. I just think we we know now that there are people who have lived part of their lives as as men and part of their lives as women and this is not abnormal but yeah i I don't think they intended anything by it back then and you know quantum leap actually has like a huge fan base of trans and gay people i think because such a huge part of this uh when Sam leaps into women, like there, yes. there are obviously things that don't hold up very well, but a lot of it is just sort of you have to get over it. So it's just a guy being a woman or a guy in women's clothing or mm-hmm. whatever, and then you kind of get over the gender part of it. And I think another reason why that particular line stood out to me was because of how salient it is in uh, a lot of the dialogue that we have today and um, just how many different issues this episode touched on that we're still going through. I mean, they're talking about police shooting protesters. Mm-hmm. They had the FBI surveilling the women's center because what, are they are they worried about some kind of sedition? What are they – you know what I mean? I know that sort of like that was supposed to be a throwback to the like the '60s, and sort of the way things were done then. But that's still the way that they're, you know, happening now. I think that because of maybe sort of the heightened sensitivity that I have for all the stuff that's going on around us today, every little wrinkle in this just stood out to me much greater than I think any of the writers intended. 
Yeah. Well, even when they're talking about health insurance, they're bringing up universal health care. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, what a wonderful world this would be if these things were actually solved. You know, yeah, and you know what struck me about that is the arguments that they have against it are the same bullshit arguments that you hear against yeah. it today. We have to find a way to nip this move on nationalized insurance in the bud. I'll get the wine. Everyone knows that the quality of health care will go down when the consumer loses his ability to choose his physician and carry. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, it, yeah. So we have not progressed at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was even thinking about um, the Me Too movement mm. watching this. There was this the part in the kitchen where uh, the dad goes over to hug the daughter and she's like, Daddy, you can't just violate someone's space whenever you feel like it. All these years, I thought that was just a hug. I thought it was just a hug. You hear that all the time when pe- when um, sexual harassment or assault allegations come up or, or things like that. And uh, they're like, well, you know, it's just a kiss on the cheek. It's just a hug. It's just that, mm. you know, like, what are you talking about? Like, it was fine before, but you can't do these things nowadays. Yeah. And that, that excuse comes up many times. Yeah, and anytime we learn that something has always been offensive or has always been wrong. And there's, there's always the people that say, well, <laughs> when did someone decide this? Yeah. I, see, hmm, I, I'd like to maybe delve into that a little bit and admitting that I'm the clueless one here. I don't have children. I, you know, so I, is, is it really comparable to say that in say, like if I were to hug a female coworker saying it's just a hug as opposed to a father trying to show some affection or get closer to his daughter? Hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Well, I don't think that they mean his affections toward her in a sexual way. No, of course um, not. I, I mean, yeah. like just genuinely fatherly affection. Like, yeah. let's come together on this. I think the wording there was very deliberate, though, um, to echo things that weren't just father-daughter stuff. And she was probably repeating stuff that she had heard at these marches as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah, but you, you hear this stuff a lot, in re- especially in relation to, like, um, famous people or public figures. A lot of these excuses come up saying, like, you know, oh, it's just a kiss on the cheek. Oh, it's just a hug. Why do people think that's offensive now? Um, so you hear that excuse a lot with, uh, very inappropriate interactions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's entirely justified that the episode does go that way where she does have that reaction because in a lot of ways you have to beat idiots like George over the head mm-hmm. with just the obvious. And what I loved is Sam is, he's in the kitchen, he's making pancakes, he's doing a million things and George comes in and he's just like, it's Friday. And we usually have omelets on Friday? Sam's like, what? And he said, well, what we always have. It's just that we always have omelets on Friday mentality. Yeah. This is the way it is. And why should we change it? Is this just a TV thing or is this just not how my family was? Well, I don't understand lines where it's like, we have omelets on Friday or we do that. <laughs> do they have the same meals every week? Because that just sounds so boring. <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't know. I grew up making my own cereal before school. So we never Aww. had like breakfast as a family because my dad went to work at four o'clock in the morning. M- Monday's so. Lucky Charms Day. Like, do you have the same <laughs> cereal every day of the week? It just seems ridiculous to me. More than likely, we had Cheerios. So until <laughs> Honey Nut Cheerios came along, and then I had a choice. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those tropes I've never really got either. And to me, just a family having breakfast together only happens on TV. So you're asking the wrong guy. I, I feel like, especially in the this time period, 
when the women are doing a lot of the cooking, like they're not just going to make the same thing every day of the week. Yeah, you say that, you know, that limited mentality, you know, they can't be expected to keep more than seven recipes in their head. (laughs) I don't need to know everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but he brought in a new recipe, uh, a la Beckett. (laughs) The griddle cakes. Griddle cakes, a la Beckett. I feel like Sam's, uh, Sam's ability to cook has either improved or gotten very inconsistent because (laughs) in another mother, he burnt that roast. But in this one, perfect roast. Swiss cheese. It's the Swiss cheese. <laughs> cheese had a cook He's always had good cooking skills. He just usually forgets it. Tell that to the stuffed mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shot of him holding a pot roast very majestically. He's like when Al tells him that the daughter's snuck out and he's holding the roast. He like he looks upstairs and there's this like perfect lighting on him, like just this very majestic pose. Well, I have to go back and look for that. We should make it the cover of the Facebook page. Yeah, the majestic <laughs> majestic part roast Sam. Oh my god! I hope I remember when that when that gets changed. I'll put that in there because I definitely have a screen cap of it for sure. I'm like, if nothing else, I need a screen cap of this moment from this episode (laughs) it sounds like one of those moments that should be over the end credits like just one of those freeze frames yeah uh, when the guest cast come up (laughs) well i mean they did try to get some humor out of sam not being able to cook and the domesticity angle of it was played i think more for dumb they weren't even really laughs but it was it, those led to some of the lighter moments of the episode, but you also had the whole thing where Al comes in and says that they have to save the marriage between George and Margaret. And you guys saw I wrote it right on the notes. Do we really care about the save the marriage angle? <laughs> Do we? I mean, I was just like, why? Why? Why should she stay married to this clueless dope? Yes, it's because they have to have something at stake for Sam personally. Because he's saving Diana, but that was one of the things I believe in the the series Bible, where it's like, okay, so what's at stake for Sam specifically? Otherwise, like, there's this disconnect, so you want to like feel like there's some personal stakes here. But yeah, again, even Sam doesn't really care. It's all sort of half-hearted. Though, I mean, I I feel like they did put an effort in to make you sympathize with George a little bit, Mm. which was difficult because he's not a very likable character. So, like, that's commendable that they did that. I just don't think it was – I was terribly invested in it. And, you know, I feel like um, even though it was ham-fisted, they did try to give him some redemption in the fourth act in a couple of different ways. Mm -hmm. I guess the first was at the table when the female – was it Evie? Evie, yeah. Yeah. Started mentioning some of the ideas that she had had about Mm. healthcare and, you know, security and single mothers and, you know, really putting the smarmy douche in his place. And George was just like, why didn't you say this at the meeting today? And you could see the wheels shifting in his head thinking about her differently once she stepped out of her pre-assigned role. Yeah. Yeah. And he does seem to be looking at uh – the police chief's son differently as well when he's dismissing her like well these actually are like some good ideas and that would help the company so why aren't you concerned about this exactly and it was like a way you can see well maybe he's receptive and i think especially um at the very end when they're having the denouement before the goofy man-on-man kiss (laughs) 
<laughs> the no homo kiss yeah, is right. what I wrote. <laughs> but when, when he says, all of a sudden, you're not my Margaret anymore. Who am I supposed to be if you're not you? Maybe you could stop trying to make me into your Margaret and try finding out who I really am. Why do I have to be your anything? And mm. again, I think you can tell he's willing to maybe broaden his horizons a little bit. So redemption, I, I don't know, but at least showing something of a positive change in George based on what happened in the episode. I don't know if that's realistic, but I thought it was at least nice to give it the attempt to show that change is possible. Yeah, it was all kind of there. It was, I mean... <laughs> okay. Eh? <laughs> Maybe this needed to be a two-parter. Oh, the no, second no, part could have really delved into <laughs> no. all, the, all that stuff later with all of these characters. You know what I enjoyed? Uh, I enjoyed the opening of this. Sam is so scared of a bra that he throws it away like, ah! <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they have the opening scene and there's these like protester hecklers oh. there throwing these like corny ass lines at them and she's like you have the right and the power to decide power my butt power my butt your whips watch you go home where you belong in the kitchen <laughs> you know what i thought those were the same goons from animal frat yeah <laughs> it seems fairly plausible i could buy that those guys are having the time of their life that's what me and my buds did on a saturday night Yes. It seems very TV cleaned up is what it was. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was more of um, the towel-snapping schoolboy mentality. Yeah. Hmm. Again, the episode, I think, gets progressively better at dealing with some of this stuff. But that was, I think, the worst place to start with just those like, gang of idiots, you know, yelling at the protesters. Well, I think, th I mean, that puts you right into the situation of the episode, though, right? You know, like, this is... Um, what they're fighting for and this is what typical chauvinistic male of the time thinks of that that they're just a joke i mean i guess i guess i just thought it was dumb <laughs> they were dumb this is a problem with a lot of leap-ins they they have to set up everything about the episode in under two minutes most of the time they get it right sometimes yeah it's it's a little corny yeah all right <laughs> but i yeah i give a lot for the leap-ins i give them a lot of leeway Okay, I had I have one last note left. I just wanted to mention I don't have a segue for it, but I did want to <laughs> say that my uh, my favorite line from Al in this is when Sam's like bitching at him for being late. Where you been? I wanted to talk to you. At school. Well, I'm not my only obligation in life, you know. You're not my only obligation in life, you know. <laughs> one of the few times they acknowledge like Al has a life <laughs> outside of yes. Sam. And I'm, I'm thinking, isn't he? <laughs> like. Yeah. <laughs> what happens if he dies? Like, you're going to have to leave the project. Where are you going to live? Back with that jerk with the loud car? <laughs> <laughs> he made that up. I'm convinced he made it up. Oh, yeah. So somehow, I don't think any of us have said, we don't want to turn into a cheese puff. But likewise, <laughs> I don't have a segue into that. I love that, I love that line. Oh, yeah. I put cheese puffs in the rundown. Cheese puffs is a topic. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to turn into a cheese puff. <laughs> That's um the police chief's son. He keeps demeaning his uh his wife. He's just wonderful. I love that guy. <laughs> he goes so many awful lines. So yesterday, this one comes home with a set of encyclopedia. It was on sale. It was missing three volumes. <laughs> <laughs> I said to him, "What's so bad about being a father?" 
He says nothing. I just don't know how to break the news to my wife. <laughs> He's like the hammiest actor in this. <laughs> I don't want to turn into a cheese pot. And he's so proud of his, like, sexist joke. <laughs> Great episode, yeah. huh? Everyone yeah, huh? had a wonderful time. We had so many things to say about it. And that's why it's one of the ones that holds up <laughs> super well. And everyone loves this great episode liberation <laughs> the end <laughs> it just it, it's just more focused on a topic uh that all of the ones about women have talked about they weren't specifically yes. about women's lib although runaway was a lot of it was about that uh but a lot of them had other topics going along with it so it just felt like they were just taking a piece that they've touched on before and then not adding much else to it yeah exactly mm. And so would you characterize those as final thoughts, Allison? Yeah, that's my final thoughts. Like, I just don't think about this episode that much. How about you, Matt? Well, I I think I think they do, although they don't add much to this, this topic, yeah, it's an important theme. It's worth a revisit if they're going to add something, and they don't particularly. But standing alone, I, I think they, they tackle it well. Um... And if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, of episodes like Runaway before, um, I would look on this episode as as a good, solid episode of Quantum Leap. I'm just really distracted by comparisons to Runaway and um, most other female leaps to one extent or another. This might be the weakest female leap to me, honestly. Yeah. Wow. I agree. Um, I don't know if I agree with it being the weakest. I It's not the worst, but it's the weakest. <laughs> I guess it's maybe the worst and the weakest. That's a distinction. But I want to say that there were a lot of good things to cling to in this episode. And I think if you're going to go with them trying to hammer home an ideal um, in a very quantum leap fashion, it's when um, Sam is standing in the kitchen with the daughter and she's saying, Why should we have to find a way? Because we're the ones who want to make the change. Because we're the ones who want to make a difference. We're the ones who want to make the change. And it reminded me of something I've heard Martin Luther King Jr. say, and I just looked it up so I don't screw it up. He wrote, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. I think this episode tried to sort of walk that line and hammer that, that ideal home, but make sure that it's in a nonviolent way which I liked. Unfortunately, with everything that's going on in society today, where I think this episode really fell down is not because it's a weak sort of female leap. I think the fallacy of the episode is that it just ends on the idea that you can change people's minds with ideas. And I feel like that at one point might have been true, but I don't think that's true any longer when we have whole segments of the population that just decide not to believe something because they don't want to believe something. And the term alternative facts yes. has become something in our lexicon. What the fuck is that? <laughs> so it, it seems to me like we're further away from changing people's minds with ideas than ever because people just look at anything that doesn't jive with their worldview as bullshit or with at least distrust. Chris, that's sad. Uh, that's, yeah. That makes me so... You're right. I cannot disagree with you, but that makes me so sad. And But the thing is, when this episode aired, I would be like, yeah, fuck yeah, that's exactly how you change people's mind. One mind at a time, one idea at a time, you build a critical mass and things will eventually change. And that's the way it's always been. But it seems like we've hit a wall today. And people yeah. just yeah. want to be obstinately stupid. They just don't care. Well, and the the parallels between this and the the Me Too movement and BLM 
and uh, women's lib and civil rights back then uh, wasn't lost on me. Uh, I did definitely notice when Sam's looking at the books on the coffee table that uh, one of the books is Black Power. So it wasn't just about women's rights. I think there was a, a message there uh, that covers a lot of different things that are still going on today. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, an episode that I think was um, a fairly good episode made more poignant for me because of everything that's currently happening. More poignant than I think that the creators ever intended. Uh, sadly, mm. in a sad way. But uh, anyway, that's that's pretty much all I have to say about liberation, um, guys. If you don't mind, I'm going to throw it to a break. And on the other side, we have some Patreon news and some feedback. So everybody, stay tuned. I'm Aaron Moss. And I'm Michelle Moss. I've seen an episode or two of the show, but this is my first time watching it through, which makes me like Sam. And I've seen every episode multiple times. So I guess that makes me uh, Ziggy. Join us monthly as we watch Quantum Leap episode by episode and then discuss it. On the Star Bright Project. Available on its own feed. Or under the Headcast Network. Come Um, take take the the leap with us. On the latest episode of Leaps Elsewhere. Today we are so, so excited to be finally talking about the pilot episode of Gung Ho. This was uh, his second uh, project ever, wasn't it? In his first TV show, Scott Bakula? I think so. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's not good. <laughs> oh my god. Every emotion that you can name. Fear and loathing, <laughs> humor and horror. You know it's always going to be a good show when it, it ran for less than half a season. They can't even get any cars there. It's just a bunch of cardboard cars in the background on the line. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon-exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Changes right before your This is Jeff Corbett, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Dun, 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 sorry, I got real. I hope I didn't bring the show down. No, I think I think we were all struggling is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was struggle. To come up with something for an okay episode. Yeah.
And that was, um, I, I hadn't, I genuinely hadn't considered those kind of the parallels that you brought up at the end there. So yeah, while it was quite real and yeah, quite sad, um, I'm like, yeah, I've got to agree with everything you just wrapped up there with Chris. I wish I didn't, but it was, uh, yeah. Me too. Some really good observations. Okay, everyone, we're back. And guys, I need you to break out the hats and horns once again, because we have a new supporter on Patreon to announce. It is Miley Enos. Miley joins us at the $5 Leaper level. Thank you, Miley, so much. Yay! Yay! Thank you! For lending us your kind support on Patreon. Being a $5 Leaper, Miley gets exclusive access to many Patreon shows that we do. One called Leap elsewhere i think we played a promo for it and also fangent uh we have so much more stuff in the pipeline including an episode about a certain ncis series that i think was just canceled oh no was it just canceled <laughs> yeah oh no I, was... I feel really bad for scott bacula i want him to keep having work well, let me tell you how I found out. Um, because, you know, on my phone, whenever I get like the Google search screen, they have like a bunch of articles underneath it. And the first one was, now NCIS is over, Scott Bakula talks about returning to Quantum Leap or Quantum Leap Reboot. And I'm like, wait a minute. All right. This is not just the same <laughs> bullshit Quantum Reboot story. NCIS is canceled. There's actually like, I, and I felt bad. I said, oh, no. That's a pretty short run for an NCIS show. Don't they usually go on for like 10 million years? <laughs> exactly. It's like, what is it? Scott the Kiss of Death to the franchises? First, Enterprise only runs for four Aww. seasons, and now that NCIS way, and New Orleans doesn't run. Fault. It doesn't run for 30 years like every other NCIS <laughs> and CSI uh, and, you know, whatever. He'll probably get to cameo on other NCIS episodes as his character from that, because I feel like they, they have a lot of, like, intertwining worlds. I mean... Uh, sure, that that'd probably be good for him. And they're also talking about him somehow coming back as Captain Archer. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know what? I'd be for it. Yeah, could do with some more Archer. I don't know how that would work timeline wise. He'd have to be like, um, they'd have to do him up like McCoy in Next Generation. You know, like oh, Archer's a million oh. years old and he's a paper mache now. <laughs> do you think he could put on the accent as well? Because because. McCoy in Farpoint has got much stronger accent than he ever did in the original series. So he goes in acting like a southern plantation owner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure I'm he black. could do that. <laughs> I was on the Enterprise before you, boy. I commanded Enterprise NX-01, boy. <laughs> Where's my beagle? Somehow still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm, I'm trying to think the only one they could really realistically and not even realistically slot them into is the new Strange New Worlds that's coming up with Anson Mount and Ethan Peck, which is basically Pike's Enterprise. Even then, he's 100 years too old. I mean, they could do like a revisit the holodeck in the, the, the great finale of Enterprise. So they just do a holodeck simulation of him like later in life. <sighs> oh, boy. So if you listening now are enjoying hearing us dick around about other stuff <laughs> that's not Quantum Leap, but Scott-related. This is the exact kind of stuff that you get over on our Patreon feed. So if you want to be like Miley and uh, come on board and support us, for a mere $5 a month, you can get shows like Leaps Elsewhere and Fangent and good fan chat where we're just having a lot of fun. So thanks again, Miley. We're looking forward to uh, entertaining you. Miley, though, is not the only news I have. We have some feedback from some of our Facebook 
Facebook followers. So I will begin. Um, this first feedback is from Nathan Hosey. And he writes, I hadn't given up on the Quantum Leap podcast ever returning, but I recently decided to check the website, hoping against hope, and lo and behold, a slew of new episodes. I will miss Heather and Albie, but the new hosts are doing a great job. They are fun, seem to have a real rapport, and their knowledge of the show puts me to shame. Here's <laughs> to you finishing out the series. Uh, thank you for giving the Quantum Leap podcast new life. You're definitely putting right what once went wrong. <laughs> Man, that seems cheesy. Nope, leaving it. <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank very you much for leaving that. I, I think that's, yeah. that's that's a fair comment. Oh, thank you. That was such a nice comment. That's very nice, Nathan. And uh, we're happy that we're living up to the Heather and Albie legacy. And speaking of that legacy, our next bit of feedback is from someone on Facebook who apparently hasn't gotten to the switchover and hosts. <gasps> um, her name is Teresa Demoro. And she writes, thank you for your hard work on this podcast. I just discovered it and I am thrilled. I started a QL rewatch because of the cold, dark time of winter and COVID. Having this podcast to go along with it has been fantastic. I'm 47, so QL was my jam during my high school years. I relate a lot to Albie's commentary on QL, and hearing commentary through the new eyes of Heather has been so much fun. Once again, thank you so much. QL was my first real fandom during high school. I became a complete X-File during my college years. That was followed by Firefly and then Battlestar Galactica. I feel like you all are friends of mine. Lol. Thanks again. So there you go. I mean, Albie and Heather still garnering as much praise as they yeah. deserve for getting this mm -hmm. whole thing started. And it's funny, this is not the first feedback that we've gotten recently uh, that people are talking about Albie and Heather. People are discovering the podcast all the time, and there's such a backlog that it's going to be a year <laughs> or however long before they get to us, depending on how <laughs> voraciously they listen. And that is when they stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa may never hear this. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's funny because when I told you guys about our last patron on Patreon, our new supporter, um, Captain FX, she reached out to me via email saying thanks for the shout out, but she hadn't heard the episode yet. She had just really started listening to the podcast. And so when I'm writing, hey, Chris here, I'm wondering if she's thinking, who the hell is Chris? But okay, they reached out <laughs> to me. She might still think that Albie and Heather are doing it too, but, you know, she's supporting based on all the great stuff they did so it's amazing yeah. yeah so we're just happy that it seems to be like uh you know like leaping the past mm -hmm. and the present combined <laughs> uh, it's not to put right what once went wrong but for the good of all i should say so. yeah, yeah. Albie and heather did a lot of great stuff so i'm i'm proud that we're able to uh to be part of this show yeah, that's yeah. the only reason I'm here is because so. I really liked what they were doing and I liked it so much I reached out to Albie and said, could I be a big mouth on your show every once in a while? <laughs> well, look where that led us. So, anyway. It's great to still be here. <laughs> if you would like to be like Teresa DeMauro or Nathan Hosey or a big mouth like me, there are many ways to reach us here on the Quantum Leap podcast. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can always go that extra mile like Miley Enos and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and matt speaking of upcoming episodes tell us what's next well if you've got concerns about your love muscle 
It's time to call in and talk to us as we examine the worlds of Dr. Ruth. Well? Uh, well, 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 what? What do you think? <clears throat> uh, could you uh, rep repeat that question? Is the size of a man's feet related to the size of his love muscle? Dr. Ruth, are you there? Oh boy. I really hope someone calls in to talk about their love muscle. Just if, if, if there's anyone looking for, for new ideas for feedback, now is the time. Challenge us. I think we found a new Patreon-exclusive show. Yeah, we checked in with the, uh, the uh, recordings lately. <laughs> the message machine. I have no love muscle chat yet, but I have a feeling we're going to get a slew. And uh, I hope so. I smell a special so. in our future. <laughs> I don't know. We're here to listen, not to judge. <laughs> now, you want to talk gimmick. Fucking Dr. Ruth. Come on. I just feel like the the music, the the Empire's music on uh, Star Wars playing as this episode is coming up. It's such a gimmick, it's like when they were writing the scripts like all right this is the dr ruth episode we'll just call it dr ruth we'll come up with a better title later <laughs> oh no <laughs> we'll just leave it that's exactly how the title of my book came up so hey <laughs> if it ain't broke don't fix it right and yeah. i really think that you know we'll discuss this as, as we discuss the episode but if you're going to have dr ruth and you're going to have it as a gimmick to get ratings call it dr ruth <laughs> yeah no ambivalence there it's like oh, oh, no mystery no yeah dr ruth is going to be on it's called dr ruth and i'm just trying to remember what kind of draw dr ruth was in the 90s i i don't i don't anyway it'll be uh it'll be something because uh that is my least favorite episode <laughs> we've finally gotten wow. to it Oh my Ooh. goodness. Oh, you've heard it here, folks. Now we have something to really. Allison is going to be on a tear next episode. I can't <laughs> wait. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> can't. This, this is going to be good. Oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> We're going to have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, uh, just, you know, stay tuned. And until then, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. 
The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Welcome to the pot. <clears throat> yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And... Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> I'm thinking. Did I get that back? Oh, wow. Did I get that backwards? I'm thinking. Okay, no more okay. drink for you. Yeah, I stopped drinking <laughs> yesterday. You think? Uh... <laughs> and today we will be discussing the episode five episode. The episode five. Listen to me. I holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> How many times can I bring out the no more drink for you line? Yeah. If you didn't bring it up, I was going to bring it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really i haven't drank all day all right <laughs> i was driving i was driving um all right so i'm gonna start this all over again i i literally wrote that line down just to remind myself to use it when one of us fluffed not, oh my not God, for any other so reason did I. I didn't re- i didn't realize we'd get 10 seconds in <laughs> I like both of us were ready with the zinger. We're like, oh man, the, right, the drink yeah. line, the drinking line. It's yeah, gonna, yeah. it's gonna come up somewhere. <laughs> oh boy, what a reputation I must have. <laughs> All right, starting again. It's like you can have an organized notes, but you got scatterbrained Allison here. Like, here's what I randomly thought of. And it's just gonna th- throw the whole thing off. It's just fine. It's working out just great <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> I'm back. Welcome back. Hey, look who it is. Mm. It's that Matt Dale guy. Welcome back. <laughs> I think we've already sung that on this podcast, didn't we? Probably. <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> oh, I'm always dear. singing the Welcome Back Cotter theme show I never watched. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Oh. I wonder if it holds up. It was very good when I was a kid. It probably doesn't hold up that well, but I mean, it did have the like... I know it had the catchphrases like "up your nose with rubber hose." That's mm-hmm. <laughs> Vinnie Barbarino, like that. uh-huh. and that stayed in the cultural consciousness. Everyone's saying that all the time. <laughs> I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Not for the first time. Welcome it's back, Hotter. Was, was an endearing sitcom from 1970s. It was a starring vehicle for comedian Gabe Kaplan. It was uh, John Travolta's big. Uh, Big thing that made him known. And he played an inner city teacher in Brooklyn um, who taught a group of misfits called the Sweat Hogs. And um, they were a multicultural <laughs> group of misfits called the Sweat Hogs. And he was a former Sweat Hog and he came back to teach. Hence the term, Welcome Back, Cotter. I see. Clever. Yes. Clever. So. Well, I shall have to add that to my list of things not to check out. Although Tequila and Bonetti, <laughs> Tequila and Bonetti was on that list for like a year, and it it made it to the top recently. Did you had that on a do not watch list? <laughs> yeah, but I'm like three quarters of the way through it now, so clearly my do not watch list is. Uh, you, you not that fool, strict. you nearly missed out on a cultural masterpiece. <laughs> it's amazing. I think oh, I'd rather do a Welcome Back Cotter rewatch first. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to actually see Welcome Back Cotter because genuinely love the theme song. It's I, again, I have fond memories. I don't know if it holds up. I just know that it was funny for its time, <laughs> and I think it was just a lot of it was just a vehicle for Gabe Kaplan's stand-up comedy to make it into some kind of scripted series. It seems like a lot of sitcoms kind of start that way. Yeah, I, that was one of the you know Red Fox was the same way with Sanford and Son. 
But like yeah. one of the running things on the show is it would end with him telling his wife a joke. And um, <laughs> it's also had the sitcom trope of the wife that's so incredibly too hot for you. Like where did, where did she come from? And uh, she was a good part of the show too. She even became the star because he left after, a car- I guess it was a contract dispute. So it was Welcome Back, back Cotter, Cotter without with no Cotter. Cotter. <laughs> yup. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sounds great. <laughs> I think this was like season five or whatever. You know, it's after it got big. It's funny though, because it, it's almost like Happy Days without Richie. You know, Richie's always on the phone or oh, I'm going to tell Richie when I see <laughs> oh, him later. Yeah. <laughs> I love when shows do that. They had um, Beauty and the Beast and they lost the beauty. <laughs> they had to get a new beauty. Um <laughs> Uh, there was season, I think this was also season five of, uh, Dukes of Hazard when they had a pay dispute and the, and they, uh, oh, they yeah. both quit and yeah. the two star or the two guys. And so they brought in Vance and Coy. Yep. They're yep. cousins who looked exactly like them and just cut and paste <laughs> them into scripts. <laughs> They're other cousins. Yep. <laughs> Always bore cousins in them hills. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. I watched, I watched all through those seasons. And then uh, Vance and Coy left, and Bo and Luke came back. I guess they were like NASCAR guys. Like, they were riding the NASCAR circuit. They were race car drivers. But then they came back to Hazard. Yeah, I think it was like an episode called, like, Welcome Back, Bo and Duke, or something like that. And <laughs> then, like, and, and it was just like, Bo and Luke, yeah, I know that. I knew that. And, um, <laughs> and then in the first scene, like, Coy and Vance are like, well, they're back, see ya. And then they're never mentioned again. <laughs> In Volk Homer Simpson's line, and we will never speak of this again. (laughs) (laughs) So long, stink town. (laughs) Before I read this paragraph, I've been a fan of the X-Files for like 25 years, and I've never been sure how to pronounce this word. File. Is is it X-File? It it is just X-File. I've heard people pronounce it X-Feel. I just wanted to check. Most people are idiots. (laughs) Carry on. All right, that's fine. fine. Uh, (laughs) I'll pronounce it correctly then. 